Kevin Owens, host of the Overseas Famous Podcast, here to personally invite you to subscribe to our official Patreon. Are you guys ready to take your podcast experience to the next level? Well, with our Patreon, you can do just that. And the best part, pricing starts at just a dollar. Like a pack of gum. Less. Per month. By becoming a Patreon member, you'll unlock a world of amazing perks. We're talking merch giveaways, sign items by our guests, shout-outs on the podcast, exclusive content, and so much more. Not only will you guys get to connect with me and the Overseas Famous community on a deeper level, but you'll also gain access to behind-the-scenes content and early episode releases. So don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Join our Patreon today and become part of the Overseas Famous family. Together, we will make podcast history. Thank you for your support and can't wait to see you on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash overseas famous to register. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Overseas Famous Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Owens, joined today by Temple legend uh, Juan Fernandez. Juan, we're excited to have you on. We were just talking a little bit about, you know, all the connections. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun because I live in the Philadelphia area, so I remember when I was playing, uh, etc. you were doing great things for Temple University. So it's great to have you on and hear about what the great things that you're doing, which we'll talk about today uh, in a little bit about the great things you're doing now with your career. So uh, excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, Kevin. I'm so glad we connected recently and and I'm I'm so happy to see what you're doing and it's so exciting. So I'm really happy to be here. I, I consider myself like a Philly child in a way, even though I wasn't <laughs> born there. So it's great to connect with people from the area as well. It's great. It's a, it's a, it's a nice area. I feel like the uh, we were just talking a little flyers. It's, it's definitely yeah. a good place to live. I always said Philly was, every time someone was just like, where would you live? I was like, I like it here because you have the shore, which is... 45 to an hour away then you have new york city which is like an hour and a half away you have dc two yeah. hours away i'm like man you're like in the middle of everything so that's why yeah. i like this location you get you kind of get it all including the uh you know new jersey nonsense <laughs> you have to deal with <laughs> yeah like everywhere it has its thing, <laughs> you know but no we we love we loved it too and i know my family loved to come visit because of these things like there's so many things to do around and yeah, it, it holds a very special place in, in my heart. It's the first place I went after leaving the comfort of my home in Argentina. And so it, it meant my first big change. And in many ways, it was challenging and exciting at the same time. So I have great memories from that time. Well, going into that, we always talk about the the one thing in, that we talk about with when you head overseas. It's such an adjustment for everything culturally the basketball the the athletics whatever it is everything becomes different and you have to adjust now we do it usually as americans and you go overseas you're usually in that later 22 23 you kind of going through college and growing up doing it at a younger age like you did is very difficult how was how did you adjust to those different things when you came here and everything was new but you had that, there was the first time you're experiencing anything like this. Yeah, it was scary. Definitely scary. And I think that looking back, um, such a big step in my life that 
I think I had to be really sure of the reason why I was doing it. So believing really in my long-term vision and knowing that I was chasing my dream, literally, I had a few offers to a few, I'd say a couple offers to go to Europe and, and sign with professional uh, teams that had youth teams at that time. Um, but I felt like college was the way to go for me. I wanted to keep studying. I wanted to go to college. I I had dreamed with going to college and being able to do both for a long time since I was like 12, 13 years old. So I think that that the change was such, you know, so difficult that in many ways, I think you have to be really certain and sure that it is it is what you want to do. What then brings up another topic, which is, well, how sure are you at that age that you know what you're doing, right? Yes. <laughs> and and I think that that honestly, I think the basketball side was very strong within me. I didn't even know what I wanted to study. I just knew I wanted to study something. Um, but the the basketball side was very strong with me. Like I, I could envision the future that I wanted. Also, because my father was a professional basketball player, I saw what what was possible with that career in terms of having a family, providing, and doing what you love for a living. So I believed in that side of the equation, and I I followed my my gut and my intentions. But you know, as I have the experience of having gone through it, I try to mentor if I can and talk to kids, especially that go from Argentina to college through that change, because I know how challenging it can be and how helpful it can be to have somebody to, to guide you through, through those challenges. You just mentioned your father who played pro basketball. How did growing up, because that's something that as a professional athlete, you're always thinking about, what will translate into the next generation? How will will my work ethic, will my athleticism, all of these things translate into the next generation? How did his influence impact your love for the game of basketball and your decision to head to Temple and pursue a career in this? Yeah, I think it was it was unintentional in many ways. And I think that my dad, in that sense, never really pushed me to do it uh it was self-imposed very much mm -hmm. but i think he he literally he led by example and it's you know i think it's the best the best form of leadership in that sense he showed me the way and um i think that when you're born in that world you're even unintentionally influenced by it and and added to the fact that to speak to my specific journey and i know everybody's journey is different but i grew this tall when I was 13, 14, literally, I, I was this tall. And I was so at a very young age, I was standing out from height alone above the kids my age. On top of that, my father was a professional basketball player. So automatically, my environment kind of <laughs> wrote my future for me. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm meant to do and be. And like, it was amazing and i think that it also pushed me to to take this seriously and make those sacrifices that are needed to become a professional athlete that i think are necessary on the back end now looking back looking at my career and reflecting on especially for the past year and a half since i retired i wonder if i started taking the sport too seriously too soon 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, to say this, because at the end I was burnt out, I was 31 years old last year, and that's how my career ended. So looking back, I think that I couldn't really remember what it felt to purely and genuinely have fun playing basketball. I feel like it was such a, it turned into a job, you know, even before I started getting paid for me, because that's what I wanted so bad. And so, you know, there's pros and cons of that influence that I think in many ways was self-imposed, but also influenced by the environment. That's a really good point that we do. We get burned out when you're at such a young age and it's, all you know it really does no one thinks about the what you're going to be when you're 31 32 everyone's like what are you going to be when you're 18 19 and you don't really think about that second step where it's like are you going to get burned out is this going to be too much is this going to be like you said become a job and does it lose its fun and i think that's something that we as athletes experience and it's very hard to reciprocate that in any other field or talk to people who are like, you always get like, the, oh, poor little basketball player, you, you know, or poor pro basketball player, you're living this dream. And you're like, yeah, but you don't get it. This has been what I've been doing every day since I'm 10 years old. It's really does. It burns you out. And I think people don't talk about that enough about how we push so much at a young age and we push ourselves. It's really tough to maintain that all the way through and those and those goals and stuff. So it's it does. It burns you out. I feel like that's what I went through and my body's shutting down. I was just like, I was I was over it. I was like, this is enough. I've had enough of this. Yeah. That's yeah. difficult. And yeah. I oh go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You got it. No, I, I was I think it's it's very common and, and I try to be very careful with like how I talk about my story and the wording I use, because I don't want to sound like it's complaining about the path that gave me literally everything I have in my life today. Because in college, I met my wife, which I wouldn't have been in college if I didn't play basketball. That's the truth. I wouldn't have gone to Europe and meet all the wonderful people I met there and and get to visit all these beautiful countries and places and and have my kids over there too. Like literally it all started with basketball because of basketball. But mm-hmm. you pose a golden question, which is what is that sweet spot and can it be done if you don't give yourself fully and all um, to your sport? And I I don't have the answer, but I know that for me, it gave me everything. And in a way, it kind of meant that that it kind of led to the ending that it led to, which it wasn't Mm -hmm. pleasant. And it wasn't, you know, and that's the truth. I think that that's the because when you think about it, when you kind of lose that love, when it's not. It doesn't completely overtake your body where you're like you're so excited for practice you're so excited for games and things like that I remember there was that was when I started kind of being like all right this is this is what needs to change and it the only thing that kept me going that kept me employed as a as a basketball player was the fact that we still have that competitiveness so you might be like, all right, here we go again. And all of a sudden someone hits a shot and you're like, you know what? Screw this. (laughs) (laughs) Hell no, we're not doing this. Like I'm not going out like a punk. Like I'm going to go and kick your ass now. But there was that portion. You're like, it's like that has to happen in order for you to get yourself mentally prepared. And when that happens, it's just, it's just the love's not 
as strong as it was. It's not saying it's gone, but it's just not that same love you had for it growing up. Yeah, absolutely. And and that that was a big thing for me too. Uh, for a while before retiring, I would say even a couple of years, um, I felt like the fire was not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of pushing the decision back was also influenced by all the things I was just telling you about my story. How, since you were born pretty much in this world, uh, and even starting to play at three, four, five years old, it it it's it's not just something you do; it's who you are. Mm-hmm. So, the uncertainty of life without that part of who you are is very scary. Yes, and and like we're wired to to be drawn by the familiar, right? We want to feel like like we know what's happening, even if that makes you miserable in a way. Yeah. So because the change is is even scarier than putting up with how you're feeling sometimes. And so um, it took a while to really understand that a change was needed for me. And I think the red flags were towards the end feeling like I wanted to get injured to not have to have an excuse to not mm-hmm. go. And so that's when I really were, was like, this is not right like this is not this it shouldn't be this way you know and yeah because i understand that not everybody loves their job and there are weeks even months that you could you know feel low in energy and not want to go or not want to go to practice or one day but then you play a game and whatnot but when that's sustained over a long period of time and then added to those extreme thoughts um of you know wanting to be out um it was just that that meant for me that something needed to shift. And I, you know, it, it's unfortunate that it has to get to that point sometimes for you to realize, but it's it's what it took for me to understand that my mental health came first. And so I made decisions accordingly. And I think this is an important conversation because it's an honest conversation. And we've, I felt that way. You felt that way. There, I think 99% of athletes feel that way but they're not willing to admit it because we have this ego and we have the mama mentality, like all these things, like you can't think that way. You have to, but it's a, it's a grind. Like that's what basketball becomes. It's a grind. You're, you're, you're not in it for those right reasons at a certain time. That's when you kind of have to start being honest with yourself. And this is why it's such a good, honest conversation that we're having, because I guarantee there's a lot of people listening who feel this way who aren't willing to admit that they feel this way. But at least if we're talking about this now, it's something that they can kind of reflect on and figure out, like, is this something, like you said, is the change going to be too scary for me? Or am I willing to embrace it and move on? If some, it's if I'm doing something that is really mentally debilitating. And I totally agree with you. I think that's a great conversation that we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. And, and, and I think it's this is what got me into and, I, and I'm going to yeah, just tell go what, for what I'm doing now. But but this is what got me into wanting to do the type of work I do now from a life coaching perspective toward geared towards athletes transitioning, because I mm-hmm. saw these common patterns and it, there are different stages to the transition. So while you're playing, you know, 
uh, a few months into the retirement or even years after retirement, we all go through um, certain things at different stages of the journey, but that have very common themes in essence. And so yes. uh, I, I wish I would have had somebody guiding me through the process. And so I, I didn't know there were people who do this. And so I wanted to become the person that I wish I needed because it is such an important topic. And, and, and I, you know, I saw an opportunity to do good work there and it has to do with everything you're mentioning. And the thing that helped me the most was understanding that I wasn't weird because this was happening to me. Like it's, uh -huh. it's normal. So, yes. so there's two things about athletes. I think that we are different than non-athletes then so most of the population we are bred and built differently like literally from physiologically to your mind the way you work the way you operate since you start at a, at a very young age um you are built in a way that it's different there's something about you um mm -hmm. and at the same time you know that to say that we experience and go through certain things that nobody else experiences and goes through and mm -hmm. also the other side is understanding that within the athlete world, you're not alone. Like this is normal. And I think that realization took me away from the mindset of, well, this is that this can't be happening. This is how, how am I supposed to uh, be feeling this way when there's millions of people who would want to be in my situation. And then when you start exploring the world you're in and realizing that many athletes go through the same, it's like, well, hold on, wait a minute. There's something here and, mm -hmm. and it doesn't make you feel so like isolated in a way. And so I think that was the that was a starting point for me and understanding that. And two, that there is always a way out like that. You're not changed to a situation or even how you feel like you can always do something about it. So th those were the first few realizations that led me to retiring early and then getting into what I'm doing now. You and I had a great conversation a few weeks ago, just on the phone, talking about all the stuff that, that you're doing and uh, how helpful it is. And we talked about how this this there's different groups who are doing these things and how we are trying to change the overseas world, how we're trying to help as many people as possible. And everyone looks at it as like this huge competition. Oh, I need this. I need this. And really, it's about we live in a world where the help that you are providing is so crucial to the mental, to the, you know, everything that an over, that an athlete will go through that this, this is not a competition thing. This is a, let's figure out ways to help this situation, which is in dire need of help. Let's figure out best ways to help this situation band together and get these people the help that they need mentor the people that we need to mentor and i think it's just incredible work that is being done by you to help these athletes because you're you're right there's so many people who are going through this whether they're likely to admit it or not it's a big mm -hmm. problem and i think you are part of the solution and i'm excited that we have have grown and uh what what you're doing is is so impactful so i really appreciate it and it was uh Man, that's mm -hmm. why I said it's, it's good conversations that we're having are ways to help us grow the 
mm-hmm. voice and grow the awareness to what's going on overseas and with athletes in general. So I appreciate what you're doing. It's it's fantastic. Thank you, Kevin. And I say the same to you. And, and I was just so happy to, to also to talk to you, connect connect with you and see how the great work that you've been doing for much longer than I than I have, which I consider myself a, a rookie in, in this sense, but but with many genuine and big intentions and wanting to help. And I think that to what you say, I found that there's there's a there's two big things that that change from the world of professional athletes that uh when you come to the other side, and I'll, I'll say it the other side, um yep. The, the concept that we're used to needs to switch. And I think one is that competitiveness, whereas like before it's like your competition is the enemy. So I had yeah. coaches who told me, do not go and talk to the other players uh, before games because they you may get distracted. It's like, literally, it's like the enemy. Well, on this side, I've only found even people doing work in the same space uh, nothing but support and encouragement. Why? I think it's because behind the work, the work that we do, there's a common mission and it mm-hmm. is helping as many athletes as possible. And I think that's very powerful. Um, and the other one is as athletes, and this is for athletes, you know, who may be going through the situation right now or certain challenges is we are taught to not show weakness. Like, I mean, think about it. You even your body language when you're tired that you're always told, or I was always told, do not show it, do not bend your knees, stay up, you know? And so that's fine and all when you're playing and you're an athlete, but when you're transitioning and on the other side, you, it's okay to, to say these things, to have these conversations, like the more open and vulnerable you are, the more you will allow help to come in. And so Mm -hmm. nobody can help you unless you show that weakness and be okay with your, vulnerability and in, in understanding that I think it's key because um you know it's I think that there needs to be that mindset shift around the concept of showing weakness you know mm-hmm. and quote unquote because actually asking for help is an incredible sign of strength because it takes a lot of courage to ask for help so I think that those two are the two biggest mindset shifts that need to be made by athletes during this process and it's it really is difficult when you have this ego that you built and you're like i am the absolute shit and you're walking around (laughs) thinking that everyone is like here and you don't want to show that like you said you don't want to show that weakness and your ego is so strong and then it's like ask for help do this accept be honest with yourself and you're like wait what like it's come like you just said it's a complete 180 from where you were headed and now you have to shift your mindset but that's what needs to happen in order to be successful in this world outside of basketball you can't just go around with your your ego's not going to take you very far uh no one cares that you can you know hit a three or do the things you did on the court when you're in the corporate world no one gives a shit they're like cool man (laughs) That's awesome. <laughs> Tell me some stories, but guess what? You need to figure out ways to make money now. So it's it's a wild transition. It really is. Mm-hmm. So going into your now, there's a famous story. I'm friends with Matt Langle, the Langle family. My brother was roommates with Matt. Uh, Dumpy was obviously his coach at Penn, and and your coach at Temple. There's a famous story of when Matt went down to recruit you, 
and got lost and was just wandering the Argentinian countryside. Is that true? Where's the where's the line of truth in that story? Because that's a big story that I've heard multiple times. And yeah. now I get to actually find out what the uh, actually <laughs> valid va- validity of that story is. Yeah, it's true. Um, but <laughs> the actual details may change depending on who's telling it. <laughs> uh, but um yeah it's true and it's funny and and i think that's a big part of the the strong bond that was created between not only matt and i but the lango family and even the temple coaching staff and whatnot how that story started uh it's incredible so basically the short version is that matt went to see me somewhere in argentina that i was not in uh, and not only I was not in, I was like nine hour drive away from that place in the middle of nowhere. So Argentina is already 80% farmland. Well, this was like 100% farmland. There was probably <laughs> one house uh, in, in, a, in a basketball stadium that they had just built. And this was in an attempt to. So I was with the junior national team of Argentina and they were attempting to bring basketball to like every corner of the country so they uh-huh. would take you know junior teams to uh go for like weeks to work out and practice in front of people and and even underdeveloped areas to like promote the sport and at that time phones and signal wasn't the internet what it is today it wasn't so matt like i don't know how but he rented a car he got a GPS and he made it like he drove all the way there. And, you know, what, what's interesting is that he got there and I don't know what my coaches in the national team thought, but they didn't let him watch practice because they were, you know, we're not going to show our plays and our scouting reports and stuff like that. And I got so pissed because I'm like, this guy, like, look at the trip he just made and he's to come watch me play. And also, it was my future. Like, I wanted him to see yeah. me, right, to come to <laughs> Temple. Um, so, anyways, I decided to go back home with him. So, we drove back together in this tiny car, those nine hours back to my hometown. Um, and, like, during those nine hours, that was the first time that we ever met in person. So, I feel like we really bonded and got to know each other. I mean, imagine spending nine hours in a car with somebody you just met. And so, um, <laughs> and so that that's how we connected. And it, it was incredible how he made it there. There was literally, so we were staying at a house. It was, it wasn't even a hotel and it was like 11 PM at night. I was about to go to sleep. And this uh, old little lady comes to me, comes to us, like my teammates and I, and said, there's a person here that does not speak Spanish. I don't understand what he's saying. And he's looking for Juan Fernandez. (laughs) (laughs) That that was all he was saying. And so I go out in the hallway of this house and there was Matt there. And then I don't know how he found a room somewhere to sleep in. And then, yeah, it was incredible. He had his wife, Tara, crying because in uh, back pregnant in the States because he couldn't get a hold of her. And so she didn't know whether he was lost kidnapped or (laughs) nobody knew where matt was and so that's how it started and that's how i came to temple (laughs) that's if you're if you're an introvert listening to this story you're probably like on the floor in convulsions right now because that's like 
imagine have, being a person who's not out, you know, outwardly expressing their stuff, and then you have you're getting a car for nine hours with a coach, oh. and you're just like, uh, okay, how's this going to go? And then you end up with that unique bond, and that's what you know. You look at what Matt's doing at Colgate. That's why he's one of the best coaches in the country because he really does have that personality of just a kind, good-hearted person yeah. who's willing to work his butt off to be successful, and that's a testament to him. But it's a that is a really good story because <laughs> that's a really good. I mean, not many coaches go through that in a normal recruiting visit, just wandering the Argentinian countryside. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I appreciated that a lot when it was and like I, I, I it made me see the the you know how much they wanted to connect with me and get to know me and even bring me to temple. And I always feel bad about this side of the story because after all that and everything, Matt went back and then for a while I was hesitant. You know, I told you I had a, an offer from Europe, so I didn't know where where to go. There was a time where I was very confused. I was 17 years old. I didn't know, yeah, you know. And so there was people telling me where well, your game, your style of play is more suited for Europe. So you're not going to do good if you go to college. Literally coaches saying that to me. And so that made me doubt myself. And so initially I told Matt that I wasn't going to go to Temple for, for a period of time. And that was like, I can imagine it being heartbreaking for him because also <laughs> like all this story and everything. And I felt so bad because I ended up changing my mind and going the temple but i know that it was it was heartbreaking for a while there you're and we talk about like confidence because people are telling you you're not going to fit in that american system and then you know as a sophomore you're mvp of the a10 tournament you go to the ncaa tournament that shot first penn state uh like it, it's just you you had such a great career at Temple, but like when you talk about confidence and things like that, you're that is really tough to overcome when you're a 17 year old kid and you're like, should I go here? Am I going to make this? And then you have such a successful college career. What was the mentality when you first came? Was there like an, a part of you that's like, you know what, screw what these coaches are saying. I'm going to show them that I'm going to make it here. Yeah, I think that those things in a way always fuel you. So I always find that Even during my pro career, um, I there were many times that I wanted to prove people wrong, and th that was one of them. And but it it's a fine line between you're not doing it for them, right? You you're not like you're not doing it because they say you cannot do it, but you do rem like when you achieve something, you first remember the people that were there all the way, like supporting you and loved you all the way, which is your family, your closest friends and everybody that goes through it with you. And the second people like group of people that comes to mind is those who doubted you. Like you remember them when you achieve something and subconsciously, I think they fuel something in you. Um, even, even if you don't, even if you're not aware of it. So I think that And I, I find that with in, in many levels of professional athletes, even college athletes, I think that in a way, everybody has something to prove and you use that as motivation. And I think that was one of many cases during my career where I felt like, you know, I wanted to to test it out for myself. Like I didn't mm -hmm. want my limits to be defined by by anybody else. I wanted to explore what those limits were. 
And so that's what I did. That's a great thought process to have because you really do. You think about the people that you, when you are so successful, you think about the people that got you there. And then you do think about the haters a little bit. It's like, they're not first, but you definitely, <laughs> it definitely comes back and be like, oh, I remember what you said. Yeah. I remember <laughs> yeah. that. Absolutely. And, and it happened to me with uh, coaches, my career, I remember in, in Italy, I, I won two championships. And the first championship was to move up to from second league to first division on a team that I had been on for three years. And the coach, I thought I was, you know, three years there, we finally got to move up. I was starting and playing a lot. I thought it was guaranteed that I was going to play first division with that team. Uh -huh. And the coach, the coach sent me an email midway through the summer saying that he wasn't going to, you know, hire me back. And so th that like those types of things, right, it's those types of things that just fuel you. And there's a time where you need to process the challenge and the setback, uh, mm -hmm. just like anything in life. But then there has to be a, a moment where you say, you know, I can't change it. Like these are the circumstances and I can never choose the circumstances, but you can always choose how to react to them. So mm -hmm. you can either let them hold you back or you can use them as fuel and motivation. That's what I tried to do during my career. And then, you know, when I won my second championship, I remember that guy. And then I got to play against him and I wanted to prove him wrong. And when we beat them, I remember that guy. And I didn't <laughs> need to say a word, you know, but but it just felt good and in a way you go you go to a place of gratitude it's like dude you hurt me but but thank you because yeah. it you know it made me better it's yeah that guy definitely was remembering it he definitely remembered that moment <laughs> the second you won he's like god damn it so you're so not many people you know when you talk about game winning shots and things like that it's people always ask the mindset that you had like what were you thinking going through but the thing is when you hit a shot like that it's not like i and i'm i'm speaking for you and then i'll you know but the i feel like a lot of times you're just kind of in the moment in the game when you catch the ball it's like it's just instinct you're just instinctual it's like a lion chasing something chasing an animal like you're just instinctual you're not thinking i need to do this but when during that time during that lull in the action during that break when you know that this is probably what's going to happen what emotions do you feel when you kind of are like, okay, the ball is coming to me? Is that like, yes, let's go? Or is there like a, okay, this is a big stage. Like, I'm going to knock yeah. it down. I think those those moments, in a way, push you or force you, I just say force you into a state of complete mindfulness. And uh -huh. meaning that that there's only the present moment and nothing else. And I... For example, I, I've been practicing meditation for two and a half, three years now. And I think that that's what you attempt to get. Like you you kind of want to train your mind to get to, to living in the present moment. And it's so hard to do, especially in the world we live in today, ever changing. So like if I can go back to those moments and there was I hit two, two other game winning shots in, in during my professional career. And I compare those to to that one with Penn State, and literally, it's it's the the literal definition of living in the present moment. Like nothing else exists, N nothing else is there. 
And, you know, it, it can be translated to so many things in life that of things that you try to attempt, where it's like, well, the future is not here yet. And the past, you know, it's already past, like you can't change anything there. So how do you get yourself to that present moment? And I wish like you could just go and put yourself in a situation where you have to shoot a game winning shot, but that doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, so, you know, so that's why I say force, because to me, what it felt like in those two or three moments during my career, it's literally because in, in the press conference after the game, they all asked me the same question. What are you feeling through that moment? Nothing. Mm -hmm. it, there's nothing other than that moment. And, you know, I would even go to say that it wasn't intentional for me. So in a way, it's kind of you put yourself in that situation. You have to do something about it. You can't even think about what's coming next, whether you're making it or not making it or how many shots you made or you missed in the game. You know, mm -hmm. there's nothing other than that moment. And it's a it's like a it's like bliss. It's 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 awesome. Um and, and I speak from my experience. I don't know yes. if, you know if if for everybody is the same, but that's I feel like that's the literal definition of of living in the moment. And when we talk about just even that moment and as an athlete being able to step into those moments and be in the present and be able to handle that pressure and be able to handle everything and be able to compartmentalize everything that you're doing outside of like well if i screw up what's going to happen that is why when we talk about what you're doing now with helping athletes transition that is why we always talk about like how athletes are so invaluable and so employable because they have these intangibles that other people don't have we've been in experiences where i we had to hit the game winner or you had to take that shot and the pressure that you feel it just you're just living in the present and a lot of people can't handle that moment but that's what the real world is you're dealing with things like that every day there's this deal you have to get this you have to get, make this money and we're not sitting there like what do i do what do i do it's like okay <laughs> got it and that's yeah. why i think when we talk about how valuable athletes are and 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 understanding separating the ego from the value and just understanding that you are valuable because you have these intangibles. And I think that's what you're doing is, is uh, so impressive. So yeah, that's, it's a wild moment, but I, I do, I, it is, it is cool to hear that yeah. perspective of just remaining in the present and remaining in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I agree a hundred percent with what you say. And because I see it, I see it like through my own experience, I see it with many of the athletes that I, that I've talked to and worked with the everything needed for the next stage of your life post athletic career is there so there are two things that ache me in in my life and and to see it on on other people and and that those two things are a waste of potential and a waste of time like i feel uh -huh. like those it it hurts me to see that potential and time go to waste and i try to be very intentional with that in my life and so because athletes are built in that way, which is everything that you were just saying, when I see that because of the stress of the situation or not being able to figure out, you know, certain aspects of the transition in certain areas, and that potential is being held back, it's like that ways that it hurts. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it. So, yeah. and at the same time, there's those that figure it out three years in, 
when maybe with help or guidance or talking to people or, or, or whatever, you know, that time or transition can be shortened to three, six months instead of three years. And so you you don't waste all that time that could be used, you know, towards something else. Now, I don't know if that any time in that sense is wasted because I feel like everything serves a purpose um, mm. and, and, and it builds you in a way. But I think that that because of how athletes are, there's something there that as soon as it is, you know, as soon as you're able to to flip that switch in your mind, um, whatever goal you decide to to set yourself on after after your athletic career, it's a given. Like mm -hmm. I would guarantee that you're going to reach it because you've yeah. done it. Um, and so, yeah, that's also part of what got me into this and, and what I see in, in the work I do. Well, Juan, this has been a great time, great conversation, great topic. Uh, it has been really fun talking to you, hearing your insights. And we've talked about this before, but I feel, I'm feeling people are going to are going to understand and know not just in the basketball community or the overseas community or the sports community, but worldwide what people like you are doing uh, to help athletes. I think there's going to be a big bump. I can feel it, feel it coming where, where, you know, people know that this is out there and this is a, a great thing. So we appreciate you coming on the show today. Tell us your story uh, and your insight. So we appreciate it. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Kevin. I, I love the work you're doing and I, I'm, I'm happy our paths cross now and, and thank you for, allowing me to share my story here and and yeah i, I will keep supporting your work also in, in any way i can well i appreciate it thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening this week to the overseas famous podcast uh joined by juan fernandez i am kevin owens we will see you guys next week <laughs>